Welcome to the Empowered Investor Podcast. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by the sheer volume of choices and voices telling you how to plan or invest for your future? With his straightforward approach, host Keith Matthews of Tulette Matthews & Associates cuts through the noise to help you create a winning action plan for you and your family. The decision-making framework discussed in this show can transform you and your investment experiences and will increase your odds of becoming financially secure. Learn more and subscribe today at tma-invest.com. Welcome to The Empowered Investor. My name is Keith Matthews, and in today's show, we're covering the topic of family law. In particular, the division and separation of assets. Now, as we mentioned in last week's show, Canada has two legal systems that drive this topic. For those living inside the province of Quebec, it is the civil code. For those in the rest of Canada, it is common law. What we've decided to do is create a couple of shows per legal system, if you will, to walk our listeners through this very important subject matter. In today's discussion, part two, for the civil code, we're going to cover off matrimonial regime. And for that, we have an incredible guest speaker, and her name is Patricia Falcon. She will be interviewed by Ruben Antoine, my co-host and the co-host of the show. And so please enjoy today's show, and we look forward to getting your feedback. Welcome back to this episode of The Empowered Investor on Family Law, especially the patrimonial aspect of the family law. We have our special guest, Patricia, with us. Welcome back, Patricia. Thank you. So on part one of this series, we went through what falls on the family patrimony. So to do a quick recap, it will be the family house and the furniture, the family cars, and RSP and pension during the marriage. Now we're going to bring the discussion further. We're going to look at what happened to all the property and other assets. So I know there's different regime and different rules, and that's why you are with us today, Patricia. So let's start from one of the regime, which is called partnership of Aquest. Can you explain to us the basic rules and again, what falls under that category, if we can call it like that? Perfect. So if we want to compare it to the family patrimony, I think the first thing we have to explain is the matrimonial regime is based on the law that is applicable to you at the time of marriage, whereas a family patrimony is where you're habitually residing at the time of separation, divorce, or death. So basically, your matrimonial regime will follow you even if you change jurisdiction. So if you were habitually residing in Quebec at the time of your marriage, both parties were residing in Quebec, or if Quebec was your first common domicile after the marriage, therefore the law that applies is the Quebec law for your matrimonial regime. And if you do not have a marriage contract, the matrimonial regime that applies to you is that of partnership of Aquest. So this is for everybody who's basically living in Quebec at the time of marriage, they did not go in front of a notary to get a marriage contract, then that's the law that applies to them. So we have to reiterate the fact that all the assets which are part of the family patrimony are partitioned in accordance 
with the law of the family patrimony that we've already discussed. It's only the other assets, the assets that have not been partitioned in accordance with the family patrimony law, those are the assets that will fall within your matrimonial regime. Just so that I understand, a married couple get divorced or separated. First of all, there is all the asset that falls under what we discussed in the first part of this series, basically how those ones are divided. And now it's as if there's two group of assets, if you can call it like that. Now we're going to discuss about what happened with the other assets. And that's what you call matrimonial regime. It depends on that matrimonial regime. That matrimonial regime basically will decide how things get divided. Exactly. So this regime qualifies each spouse's asset as either acquest or private property. Okay. The value of each spouse's acquest can be partitioned at the time of the dissolution of the matrimonial regime, which is, again, either death, separation as to bed and board, or divorce. Whereas the value of the private property will not be partitioned. And something you have to understand is like the family patrimony during the marriage, the ownership is not affected. You continue to be owner of your assets. It's just that the other spouse might has the right to a partition in value of that asset. So the property that is private is not partitionable, and the property which is considered aqueous is partitionable. But there is a presumption that assets are aqueous, therefore partitionable, therefore can be divided. If you, a person wants to be able to have an asset be considered private property, they have to make the proof of that. Okay, okay. So, so now let's use example because I want to be sure I really understand and for the benefit of the, the listeners as well. So we are under the first regime when people don't have a marriage contract, which is the partnership of Aquas. Under that regime, there's two types of asset, private or what we call Aquas. Private asset, aqueous asset. The aqueous one can be divided. The private property one, they are your your property or your assets, if you can say, as one member of the couple. So what is, let's start with the one that can be divided. What falls under aqueous? Can you give me some example? Like, for example, I mean, if I have cash at bank, if I own shares in a company, if I'm working and I use my income to buy some assets, is that private property, and we're talking about what assets that doesn't fall under family patrimony, of course. Is that aqueous, so it can be divided, or is that private property? So to be able to determine what is aqueous and what is separate as to property, you have to ask yourself when this asset was acquired and how it was acquired. So for example, if you work, you have an income regarding you know, your job during the marriage, and that money you put in investment accounts, or you put that money in a bank account, or you buy, let's say, an investment uh, um, property, so a condo, an apartment, or a house in order to rent it out. If you bought all of those things with your work income, that is partitionable in terms of aquests those assets are part of the matrimonial regime of aquas. This is not private property. It is aquas, and therefore the other spouse is entitled to half. Okay, so in addition to the car, the house, the furniture, which is the family patrimony, all the other assets, so money you have in your TFSA, 
cash at bank, if you buy investment property, so not the family residences, which is which we already covered, any other assets, if we start with that, that came from the fruit of your you working, you know, your income, it's part of what we call aquest, so can be divided as well. So it's quite similar to what we have with the family patrimony. Can can we say that? Yes, it's very similar in the sense that also for aquests, if you receive assets by donation or inheritance, those assets are excluded from the partition of the matrimonial regime, a bit like in the family patrimony. I see. So also, let's say that you have investment accounts that are aquests, meaning that you bought them with income you generated from work during the marriage. Also, the dividend and the interest of this investment is also considered aquests. Okay, okay. So now we understand that basically all what we've been talking about right now in this part of the series and in the first part is basically can be divided. So now what is private property? What assets and property are not part of what can be divided? So if a spouse have that assets, this will stay to that spouse in case of a divorce or a separation. So first of all, a bit like in the family patrimony, the property owned or possessed by a spouse before the marriage is private property. And the property that was devolved by succession or donation are excluded also. And also, if the fruits and income, if basically, let's say you inherit a bank account and there's $100,000 in the bank account, if the person that the testator or the person who gifted you that amount of money, if they, they say precisely in the donation act or the will that the fruits and income derided from this investment is excluded from aquest, therefore it is excluded also. It becomes private property, but it has to be explicitly mentioned in the will or the donation act. Oh, that's very interesting. So so I didn't know that. So what you're saying is if my dad in his will is leaving money to me as, as his son and I'm married and normally if I receive that money, that money is private property, but normally if I invest that money, any interest and dividend would be part of what can be divided unless my dad in his will stipulate specifically that all fruit and income from that money that he gave me is it's a private property. So then, only then, that portion of the investment income will not be divided in case of divorce. Is that what we are saying? Exactly. So that's why it's very important that any donation be drafted properly. And of course, that the will also mention that. Okay. So I'm definitely going to review my will to protect my daughter, even if it's true. <laughs> <laughs> very interesting. Okay. So, so this is pretty clear on that first matrimonial regime that we call partnership of Aquest, which is basically, if I understand right, the default regime in Quebec if you don't have a marriage contract. So if someone gets married, they didn't draft a marriage contract at the notary, they will fall under that that regime where the rules are basically, there's two sections. One is aquest, which is dividable, and one is private property, which if it's well, if everything is well 
written on legal docs, it stays to that person of the couple in case of the divorce. Now, there is another regime, which is where people decide to write a contract. Can you tell us a bit more about that other regime that's available to anyone that's getting married that would like to to uh, draft a marriage contract and what are the implications? Okay, so let's say that you're getting married and you do not want to have to partition assets which are not part of the family patrimony. Therefore, it's the right option to get a marriage contract drafted by a notary in Quebec. And in this marriage contract, you can provide that you will be married under the matrimonial regime of separate as to property. So basically what this matrimonial regime means is that there are no more assets that are partitioned other than the assets which are already partitioned in accordance with the family patrimony law, which means that if you have you acquire companies during the marriage. If you have investment accounts, which are not RSPs, which is not one, which are not pension plans, those assets cannot be partitioned in the case of dissolution of marriage. If you have buildings that you bought for either to rent out or as investment property, buildings which are not used for the family usage, therefore those assets are not partitionable either. So basically at the end of the day, if you're separate as to property, it's only the family patrimony assets which are partitioned, meaning the family residences, the cars, the furniture, the pension plans, the RSPs, whatever assets you have, even if you acquired before, or after marriage stays yours and cannot be divided with the other spouse. And go ahead. Yeah, so, okay, so basically people, everyone have the choice to have a contract written where they say that all assets will stay under the person who acquired that asset. So if Mr. acquires some assets, this is his own. Mrs. acquires some assets, the stays on in case of divorce. The only asset that this contract cannot make a decision on is all the assets that fall on the family patrimony. No matter what you write in a contract, your family residences, furniture, and cars, and RSP during the marriage will have to get divided. But anything else, we can make a choice that this, we can decide how things get divided or if everyone keep their own assets based on ownership, basically. Yeah, Absolutely, because the family patrimony law is of public order. You can't exclude yourself from this application. Therefore, when you live in Quebec, yeah, okay. When you live in Quebec, you absolutely have to have a marriage contract that does not attack, that does not contradict the family patrimony law. So you have to make sure that if you address assets, you address assets that are other than that of the family patrimony. And therefore, everything else that is not part of the family patrimony is excluded from a division in case of a dissolution of the marriage. Yeah. I'm assuming that in your experience, do you see many people writing marriage contract to to access that separation of asset regime? Or most people, they may not know about it. So by default, they fall under the partnership of Aquest where assets can be divided. Assets that are outside the family patrimony can also be divided. Like, what do you see in your experience mostly? Well. In Quebec, first of all, many couples don't marry at all. So (laughs) they have have no matrimonial regime at all, neither separate as to property, neither aquas. And 
of the people who do marry, a lot of them do not have a marriage contract. And it's not necessary to have a marriage contract for a lot of people because a lot of people, they don't have more assets other than that provided by the family patrimony law. A lot of people, they have their house, they have their RSPs, they have their pension fund, they have a few furniture, they have a car. And most people, their house is their biggest assets. You're, you're right, yeah. Exactly. So there are no assets to speak about. But when a marriage contract can be advisable is, for example, if a person started the marriage with many assets and you want to make sure that there is no risk of, of certain assets acquired before marriage falling into aquas because there's been commingling and you don't want to have to, to do the paper trail. Or let's say you had a company before marriage and you might buy another company or acquire another company during the marriage and you want to make sure that those companies are excluded from any partition. So those are cases where a matrimonial contract becomes key. Also, when there are second marriages and you want to make sure that certain assets will be provided in a will to your children, you don't necessarily want to partition certain assets with your new spouse. So those are circumstances also where a matrimonial contract is advisable. So you're talking about those situations where a matrimonial contract is advisable. And obviously, uh, it totally makes sense is when someone may have, you know, more assets than just the house and the RSP and those assets were mostly built before uh, a marriage. But when we read news about, you know, Hollywood stars and rich, very rich people, we often hear this expression prenup. Is that what we are talking about when we are saying marriage contract, matrimonial contract? Are we talking about prenup agreement? Well, it can be similar to a prenup, but it's not exactly a prenup. Oh, okay. In the sense in the sense that a marriage contract is very, in Quebec in particular, has very clear limitations. For example, in an American prenup, you can provide for a limitation of spousal support. Let's say that you will be entitled to a maximum of $2 million in case of a divorce, regardless of the value of my assets, regardless of the lifestyle we had. And then you're stuck with this $2 million if the prenup is considered valid. Whereas in Quebec, for example, you cannot limit uh, elementary needs. You cannot say, well, if we divorce, I'll give you $2 million and not a penny more. Even if we had a lifestyle of $20 million a year, the right to request an elementary support is of public order. And let's say you had a lifestyle of $20 million a year, you cannot be limited to a certain amount provided by a marriage contract in Quebec. So that would be illegal and the whole marriage contract would be null and void. Okay, okay. So there are specific rules. You cannot do whatever you want. There are specific rules depending on the various areas that the law covers. So that, that's very interesting, Patricia. Thanks again for sharing your knowledge. And I have one last question before we end this part of the series. In your experience, when you look at marriage contract and, you know, people entering into a marriage and they're having that discussion with someone like you, with your expertise, how does those discussion, how do those discussions go? Like, do you see people saying, for example, let's not cover that because it's not romantic, you know, talking about assets as we are entering a marriage or do you, like, how do people manage the emotional side of that? Because I know that... At the end, when people get divorced, sometimes that's when 
they regret they didn't put something like that in place. But even before, when things are going well, like how does those discussions go? <laughs> I'm just well, curious. Yes. yes, it's not always easy. And you have to make sure that both spouses understand why it's important to, ha to have a marriage contract, if such is the case. Make sure also it's a win-win in this marriage contract that any legitimate needs are met. So you could provide for the other spouse a very reasonable let's say, compensation, if they agree, let's say, to be separate as to property, make sure that certain assets will be put into their names or that the other spouse will be entitled to a set amount of money in accordance with the number of years that they stay together. And I think it's all about communication. And we're there as lawyers to make sure that we accompany them in their reflection. And also in Quebec, it's an easier process because there are laws of public order that will protect the spouse. There is the family patrimony. There is the spousal support. There is a lot of money that can be obtained in that regard. Let's say that the wife says, well, you know, the family patrimony is not that much. She had the house before marriage. Often what we can say is, well, that is true. But if you get divorced, you could be entitled to a lump sum payment that is to be sufficient for you to buy a house of similar value than the one you lived in during the marriage, if your husband has uh, or your wife has the means to provide you that. So in Quebec, it's, it's a less dangerous, let's say, endeavor to draft marriage contracts because we know there's basic protection. Yes, real protection for the spouses. And I think that that makes the whole process much easier. And you mentioned something very key. You said that at the end, it's all about communication as well. And I'm sure that communication is easier when people are in love and things are going well compared to when people are fighting and not in love anymore. So in a sense, it's better to discuss about those important matters when things are going well instead of waiting when we kind of hate each other and we're trying to negotiate. So I'm assuming, is that fair? Yeah, that's what we tell our clients. So look, I know it's an uncomfortable discussion, but imagine having to have this discussion after you've had, let's say, a very difficult, rough marriage, or there's been adultery or whatnot. This is certainly not the kind of discussion that will be easier at that point in time. So it's better to face reality. You know, when you're getting married, you have to have a discussion as to what are your values, what are your risk factors, just how far you're ready to go in terms of protecting the other spouse financially. Those are tough discussions that, that are better to have when people are in love and there's still trust. And I think people understand that. And uh, generally, those negotiations are done in a very respectful way. Uh, and very interesting. And also you get to learn a bit about the other spouse. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. The cards are, are on the tables as well, where exactly. you can see everything before you enter officially in, in a marriage. So that's, that's a very good point. Somebody told me something that I thought was really smart. He says, you only know who you married when you divorce. Oh, yeah, and you would have wished to know that person before. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, because then you realize who's generous, who's kind, who's compassionate, who yeah. is, on the contrary, 
vindictive. So if you have the discussion before marriage, you're able to have a sense of who you're married and what are their values and how do they approach issues of money, if they're generous and kind or rigid. And it clearly provides an insight. And it's always better (laughs) to get into a marriage with your eyes open and having legitimate expectations that are understood by the other party. Yeah, it's a very good one. It's not exactly the same thing, but I can make a comparison with when we talk about finances, when we tell people that as a couple, married or not, it's important to understand once you're entering a serious relationship, what are the financial situation of the other person? Because, I mean, if you realize afterwards, after years, that that person had a lot of debt and that person is a spender, and if you are you know, different and you would like to build some asset base, but sometimes it's better to know it in advance, at least knowing and you know what you're getting into, you know? So sometimes, you know, money is really taboo. People tend to not talk about that, but it's important to eventually when there's some level of comfort that both members of a couple open up and discuss about the finances, especially when they they start sharing, you know, a space to live and expenses and when they have kids, very important. So I can see what you mean when you said it's important to not only finances to talk about important, you know, matters of life when you are entering a, a serious relationship. No, absolutely. Sometimes people they get married or they get into a, a de facto couple situation and they haven't discussed how many kids they want. They haven't discussed what school the children will go to, English or French speaking. Yeah public or private, it's good to have those discussions before getting into, like you say, a a serious relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks a lot, Patricia, again, for sharing your amazing knowledge and expertise with me and with our listeners. We spoke a lot about married couples in Quebec in the first two series that we did, and we cover the family patrimony and the matrimonial regime. But, you know, as we know in Quebec, many couples are not married. So in the next part of this series, we'll cover what are the main differences and, you know, the different consideration for unmarried couples. So thanks again, Patricia, and see you all in the next part of this series. Thank you, Ruben. See you soon. You've been listening to the Empowered Investor podcast hosted by Keith Matthews. Please visit tma-invest.com to subscribe to this podcast, learn more about how his firm helps Canadian investors, or to request a complimentary copy of The Empowered Investor. Investments and investing strategies should be evaluated based on your own objectives. Listeners of this podcast should use their best judgment and consult a financial expert prior to making any investment decisions based on the information found in this podcast.